fuck it, we're gonna do it live. <laughs> and that's taking on a whole new meaning. Hey, welcome to Beneath the Screen of the Ultra Critics. Thad has a new voice he wants to try out. Go ahead, Thad. Next time, Gadget. Next time. I mean, you already introduced it. I feel like doing it again would be, uh, <laughs> you know, redundant. Right, right. Today's... Which is du- which is doubly funny because of how many times we've tried to record this episode. <laughs> they don't know that we've only done this once. We're doing it live. Remember? Okay. Yes. Today's 100%. episode is very podcasting. We're going to be doing uh, something that we try not to do too often, but almost by design, we can't help it. Uh, two heterosexual <laughs> cis white dudes talking about feminism to some degree. Yes, let us define what women are in media for all of you. <laughs> I don't think we're that that's not the aim of what we're trying to try to do. We're going to try no, to but we'll no, but just by the shape of culture, we will inevitably either accidentally or just sound like we're doing that. <laughs> okay, yeah, no, what, what we're going to try to do is parse into discussion of how women are treated in stories and or and specifically how they are portrayed with certain. T- gender traits that are not inherently gender traits, if that makes any sense. Yeah. Well, I can use more what is, words what in is more it? confusing ways. <laughs> yeah, what what does it mean to be a strong woman character? Uh, and what, what different things does that mean? What do we think it means? Uh, how does that interact with our idea of what being a woman or being a man is? How real is any of this? Are we all in the Matrix? Oh, God. <laughs> existential crisis. Unplug me. Unplug me. Ah, uh, if this is part of the Matrix, they do a bad job coding. There's a couple of glitches I can see from here. Yeah. <laughs> but yes, welcome. Uh, so, so first uh, off, yeah, we let's... Need to, uh, we need to talk about what we mean by fundamental masculine traits. And or feminine traits. And like or we, feminine even, traits. Even the fact that we're leading with masculine traits. Oh, that's so telling. <laughs> um, <laughs> It's all culture, and culture is terrible. Uh, but yes, I think, well, one of the things that we, uh, I think one of the core questions sort of built into this is the fact that regardless of how true they are biologically, which, spoiler alert, not very, uh, <laughs> we do have what are, are culturally understood to be the ways that women are, in parentheses, expected to be, uh, versus the ways that men are, in parentheses, expected to be. And by the way, this is all and, fairly recently, like in terms of like the last 50 or 60 years. Mm. Because if you really go back and look at some like more classic literature or classic films, you see it, women portrayed in a different way. I think and, starting with the... Uh, maybe maybe we should just lead into the Hayes Code stuff now, because I think that's a good um, okay. grounding point. For those point. of you who are not aware, the Hayes Code was a... When films first started, there was no rules or regulation. There was no MPAA. There was no rated RPG-13 or anything. And so, since it was all new, and the people making this really were just making it up as they were going along, you have a silent movie called uh, Sodom and Gomorrah, which has, like, an orgy scene in it. Sex and sexuality and the depiction of, shall we say, marginalized life was very much abundant. And then you have a lot of, much like today, conservative puritanical people going, hey, hey now, what about the quote-unquote children who might wander in and see this? 
Yeah, I mean, and this is a this is a cycle that we see across lots of different forms of media. It happened with comics, with the comics code. Uh, video games started adding their rating systems when people were like, "Oh, violence and and stuff is bad and scary," which is in its way. But never mind, right. that's a longer conversation. Well, <laughs> um, like the Hayes Code was essentially a Hollywood censoring itself, so the government wouldn't ha- wouldn't step yeah. in. And yeah, so... exactly. What you have is like rules such as married couples can't sleep in the same bed. Um, a woman cannot get pregnant unless she's married. If she does get pregnant, she has to be married by the end. Um, uh, the, the the villain must be punished and or repent. Bad guys must die or repent or be punished in some way. Um, yeah, more, moral ambiguity is not welcome. Right. Well, there's a Preston Sturgis movie called um, The Miracle on Morgan's Creek. That the entire setup is only plausible because he's obeying the Hayes Code. Hmm. It's one. Of, it's basically him mocking the absurdity of the Hayes Code, and it's also one of the oh. better comedies. I, <laughs> I gotta find that. That sounds great. Uh, I own it on Amazon, so clearly, yes, you can get it digitally. Ah, hooray for modern technology! But uh, part of the probably the biggest stumbling block in all this is how. The early nineties and uh, the nineties and early two thousands with the sort of strong female character, which is sort of like an over correction, an over overdone course correction of male feminists. I would argue trying to do women some sort of justice, and instead of hitting the bullseye, they tend to go one hundred and eighty degrees in the opposite direction. Yeah, it's uh, well. I mean, it, in its way, like what has developed as the idea of uh, of a strong female character. Uh, heavy quotes around all the words individually and the phrase as a whole. Um, it, is that it's very like I, I like that idea of, of the the sort of well meaning mistake because it's clearly like oh no we need to we need to show women in this better light and then the better light is to make the the characters more like what we expect men to be like. Exactly. Well, <laughs> it's one of the things. Well, like because we only see because a lot of us grew up only watching movies from the eighties and nineties and early two thousands. In our I've minds, never felt the more way attacked. we perceive women, like okay, they want to be strong. So, well, men are strong, so we will give them what we think are masculine traits, and then we will have them denigrate what we think are feminine traits. Because isn't that what a strong woman does? She right. separates herself from the rest. It's like, no, not really. <laughs> Just, uh, and I mean, again, there's there's nothing inherently wrong with allowing and showing, uh, you know, women characters to have what are traits that are stereotypically presumed to be masculine. But right. yeah, like you said, this is often tied to a, a denigration, rejection, and or mockery of what we think of as traits that women are expected to have. Well, we've sort of like it, it doesn't. It, it didn't get to be both. Well, it's kind of like a what we call the John McClane effect of like first yeah. diehard you have John McClane who's just an average cop, a schlub. Yeah, and he ends up saving the day through grit, determination, and hard work, and his set his skill set. Hmm. By the third diehard, which is still good, he's starting to become just a little bit overblown. He's able hmm. to be fired up from the sewers and land. From a forty foot drop and just shake it off, like right. things are starting to become just a little bit more cliche. Action but then, hero. like from there, 
when they started making diehards again, sort of post the um the like more recent era of the superhuman action heroes. Right. Uh, he just became a, a like a caricature right. of any of the things that were good about the character initially. And so what we have is the strong female hero is also the badass heroine, and what you're simply doing is just dressing her up in form-fitting clothes, giving her masculine traits, and basically having her interact with no women unless she's sniping at them. I shouldn't say sniping, yeah, looking I think, down on them. Right. Uh, I think, well, one of the, the parallels we made before, the Ellen Ripley is a really good example of this arc, too, because she right. starts out as literally just another, like, God, I love aliens so much. You have no, if you don't know, you have no idea who the main character is until like halfway <laughs> through the movie. But, um, you know, she's, she's like second in command. She's the, she's the straight laced one trying to do her job. And by the end, she's just like the, the spoiler alert for a, a movie from the late seventies. Uh, the, the, the lone survivor, like her and her and Jonesy, uh, together forever. Uh, Jonesy <laughs> is the best, by the way. Um, <laughs> But and then like you know she she's brought back in aliens and you know she's still able to have that kind of emotional connection with Newt and is able to to have sort of both of these connections. But then it, as this progresses even further, like by the time you get to Alien Resurrection, she's like this inhumanly like dressed in tight clothes, like merged with sort of alienness. That like it's it's a similar sort of arc, but almost more ridiculous. Well, we also you, no. Uh, from that t- same time period, uh, Linda Hamilton as Sarah Connor. Yeah. In the first Terminator, she's and she's the every woman. She's just a waitress. She's thrust mm-hmm. into this unbelievable adventure, and she's she's an active participant, but she's also a lot of times, more often than not, the damsel in distress. Right. And then, in, in the weird twist, by the second one, she's replaced the uh, the Reese character, and she's much yeah. more the badass. And to Cameron's somewhat credit, she's not objectified. Yeah, to a large uh, extent. Not, yeah, it, it's it's one of yeah. She she escaped that somehow. Right, despite the fact that Cameron went on to objectify women in several of the movies. Yeah, no, Cameron is not blameless. Like that's no. not making that argument. And in fact, I also think this brings up a, a weird thing of a while ago, James Cameron. For some reason, started talking trash about Wonder Woman. Oh, I remember. Yeah, Wonder Woman I forgot was a feminist about icon, quite like his Sarah Connor. And everyone's like, "You don't get to decide what a, a great uh, woman icon is, James Cameron." Oh, what, what do you know? It's the exact thing that we were making fun of in the intro. <laughs> uh, James Cameron declaring himself the dude voice of what makes a good uh, woman character. And honestly, I just want to derail sort of the awesomeness of Gal Gadot. And Wonder yeah. Woman, and what makes her Wonder Woman work outside of her presence and her the way the script is and the way Patty Jenkins directed it, is mm-hmm. what I could be called the Schwarzenegger effect, in which English is not her native language, so ah, she has yes, a yes, way okay. of coming at dialogue that's a little bit different, and yeah. so she also has a commanding presence in a way of speaking and declarative statements that is much more. Define. Yeah, she she not only she not only has like a certain kind of like charisma and stature to her performance, but it's also multiplied by that subtly inexplicable accent. Well, the at accent least to to an American audience, she parses out lines. Like it, it, 
when you look at Schwarzenegger movies, the lines themselves are ridiculous, but they're made pure you, gems you know, by Schwarzenegger's way of speaking. You, you know what I'm, you know what I'm going to have to do now, right, Sherman? Go right ahead and do it. I hope you saved enough room for my fist, because I'm going to ram it into your stomach and break your goddamn spine. Ah! <laughs> Any other person running man would not have given it as many dramatic beats. <laughs> no. They would have just said uh, the line. Or the wonderful line from Commando, I like you, Sully. You make me laugh. I'll kill you last. And, and of course, spoiler alert. You know how I said I was going to kill you last? <laughs> I lied. Right. But very much the lines <laughs> okay, in Wonder yes. Woman work because of that sort of bizarre sort of... It's not that she comes at it backwards, but she just comes at it from a different angle. And the yeah. way she views English language, the way and the way she delivers it, gives it a sort of. I will. I will dip into my um, stuffy academic uh, ivory tower language wheelhouse here and say that it, the way that she speaks and approaches the language defamiliarizes. Uh, it, it sort of makes what she does sort of fresh and and interesting, despite the fact that most of it is not on its face exceptional right <laughs> like the, that that idea of defamiliarization is one i always like to to drag out now and then <laughs> well and not only that but like when it comes to action heroes men have largely the action heroes largely been a stoic non-committal monosyllabic figure simply because yeah. by and large most of the people who are action stars were not always the best actors <laughs> but they were always right. good at being that stoic, distance loner hero. And I think Al Gadot tapped into something really quite remarkable in the fact that she managed to do that as well as give a performance because she is actually one of the few actual heroes we've had in a very long time. Yeah. And you can even see also, like the way she talks because I don't. You saw that gif I sent you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And like just the way she's talking about misogynist. Uh, sexist, misogynist, your your wrath on this world has come to an end or whatever. I was like, that's that's a terrible line, but the way you deliver it is beautiful and amazing. Also, also, I don't, I had not seen Ezra Miller outside of being in like movies, and that man is fabulous. <laughs> He's such a delight. Uh, but we're moving away from the whole concept of the. Uh, yes, we are. Uh, actually, speaking, going back to the Wonder Woman thing, okay. uh, and to drag in one of my. Uh, favorites as far as as the the badass woman character goes is there's an interesting reflection between her and furiosa from mad max because there's something about uh badass women characters who came from secret societies of all women i don't know i don't know what it is but it is true that is a thing apparently i don't know well uh uh, not only that but furiosa when i've noticed when charlie stallon plays an action hero at mm. least recently. She has enough clout since now that, that. Since that has become her wheelhouse now. Right. But she makes sure that her action hero is allowed to keep the scars that she inherits from the fight. Right. Like, the 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 badassness is not an inherent trait and we can see the history of how these characters became that way, which is something that we don't usually see with the stoic, like 
if I if, if I think of like the Ur stoic badass, I think man with no name, oh. and we have no idea why he's like that, and he doesn't seem to have any. He doesn't seem to have any scar, like not just physical scars, but even emotional scars from whatever. He's just the badass. Well, and also Eastwood is allowed to be a sort of like, emo- like a certain like bland emotional avatar for the audience, right? To just project on uh, the, the the emotional the emotional equivalent of what Keanu Reeves's face does. It's the right. perfect blank slate. <laughs> and women are not often afforded that opportunity. Yeah. They uh, In fact, when women tend to are afforded any kind of opportunity like that, it is through the lens of sort of a sexual objectification, the femme fatale, mm. femme film noir, is a cool, distant, using sex as a weapon. Yeah, the it, it becomes like, uh, and femme fatale is, of course, something pretty much unilaterally used to, to mark someone who is duplicitous. Exactly. Like they're... All of these things about them, like they have this power and they know how to use it, and they are bad. Well, like those are all connected. It's one of the bizarre artifacts of how we view stories. But when you talk to people about the Maltese Falcon, they'll tell you that I'm blanking on the actress's name. Uh, uh, Mary, the main character, the main actress, is a duplicitous, and that she betrayed Bogey's character. And yet they'll forget that uh, Bogart yeah. is a dick. And totally forget that he's cheating, having an affair with his best friend's wife. And treats yeah, her yeah, yeah. like crap. Like, and they, they don't really hide it, but they don't hide it's it at not all. judged in the her, same you way. You see him basically throw his best friend's wife, out of the office and yeah. berating her. He admits at the very end while he's uh, calling out, calling her out of, Mary Astor out, I was like, yeah. well, I may be cheating on my best friend's wife and I may have thought he was a fucking idiot and I never liked him to begin with. But, but he's your partner and, and that <laughs> means whatever, yeah. I don't expect you to understand, but I'll tell you this right. once. It's like, it's this weird thing of men are allowed to sort of Emotional so basically, and moral ethical, it is, ethical complexity. It's, it's the 1941 version of I don't expect you to understand, but I'll tell you this once: bros yeah. before hoes. <laughs> exactly. It's this weird oh. sort of thing, and it was Charlie's Theron with Furiosa and Atomic Blonde, and it was yeah. She's allowed well, I think one of the a other sort things. of gray area to inhabit and allow yeah. the sort of distant coolness so for like Steve McQueen that women are not usually allowed she's allowed to be sexual but she's also allowed to not be sexual she's allowed to be a, an actual vulgar sort of badass yeah and I well I think also uh, because I to my shame have not seen Atomic Blonde yet I'm, I'm waiting for it to come out on home media okay. um, but with with Furiosa is also a, a subversion of of one of the things you were talking about before where um the the badass woman tends to denigrate people uh, other women who are not badasses and that very much does not happen no and she doesn't um, do it in atomic blonde either yeah and in fact in fact um yeah no like there's no like oh you're just a woman or something like that or you you, i'm a different type of woman than you or or a better type Mm. there's none of that very yeah, it's, much... it's not, like, displayed hierarchically. Right. And, that, and that's one of the weird things of, like, 
when men write women, they write women in sort of bizarre hierarchies of, of womanhood. Well, Jeremiah, that's obviously because women are always going to be competing for the attention of men. That's <laughs> that's clearly just how things work, right? I that's apologize. what all of yes, history of has shown me. Forgive me, Kevin Smith. I didn't understand. Oh. <laughs> uh. Well, and I think uh. also like that goes into going back to when we watch media. It like we're not. It's hard for men to. I don't know why. Like, okay, perfect example. Uh, Castle, a television show. Ah, um, God, I haven't thought about that for a while. Is yeah. that still going on? No, I don't. I honestly don't know. Um, <laughs> you have well, you have Nathan Philly in this castle. And then you have uh, Beckett, his uh, co-star, the the, other, the the main woman, and she is a brilliant, hard-nosed, respected competent detective and Hmm. in the first episode she cracks the case by dressing in a slinky dress and pretending pretending to be a prostitute or a floozy i forget yeah because of course is is an outdated term i use because i don't know any other (laughs) either way because let's be let's be fair most of your language comes from watching films from the 40s okay what i'm trying to say is (laughs) she is a woman her character is defined by her intellect but in the end, she only succeeds by using her body. By weaponizing the male gaze. <laughs> exactly. And, yeah. yeah. and that is what I think most male writers do by accident or by design. I'm not, it's hard to tell sometimes. But it's, well, I mean, it's, it's, it's literally like the oldest story in the Western canon. Congratulations, a woman has tricked you into getting your penis to betray you. <laughs> 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 oh, I made myself sad. <laughs> uh, you made me sad too. I hate you. Yeah, that's basically what I do. Uh, uh, okay. But yeah, I God, I'd forgotten about that. But yeah, like so much of like that character gets undercut by uh, just the things that the writers have her do. Well, and to counter that, Valkyrie from Thor, yes, Tessa Thompson. Her entrance is the it's the type of entrance I would expect for uh, Hemsworth, for Hiddleston, for <laughs> Doctor Like it's a it's a perfect rogue type entrance. Yeah, and it's so beautiful that I I so really at some point in time, the pratfall became a way went from being an excellent show of a, a woman's comedic physical ability to. A shortcut to show that the beautiful, unattainable woman is flawed and should be dating the clearly out of a league man. Oh, so so like the the romantic comedy pratfall, like exactly. the, oh, I'm I, I I I'm clumsy and I work nebulously in media. Right. I... <laughs> so therefore, I am clearly just like all of you. Yeah, like there 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 are sort of there's that and I think the only other area where women get to be clumsy is if they're like the character actor goofy woman friend. Right. Like the what what Melissa McCarthy was sort of pigeonholed into being there for for right. a bit. And Probably it's still not I'm a little necessar- like didn't used to be like that. Myrna Loy's hmm. platfall at the beginning of the Thin Man is a thing of fucking beauty. <laughs> and it has nothing to do with the fact that 
she somehow cluts or it doesn't have doesn't inform anything about a character so much if the dog just pulled on the leash too hard and she fell down. It could happen I feel like to if, anyone. I feel like if there's ever a, a beneath the screen of the ultra critics drinking game, uh <laughs> Jeremiah mentions the Finn Man and, and Thaddeus mentions uh Guardians of the Galaxy. <laughs> That's a fair enough. Or well, we mentioned Buckaroo Banzai. Buckaroo Banzai! Blue but, Blazers forever. Getting back to the the idea of Tessa Thompson, she comes on swaggering, has all this great dialogue, and then Just she moves drunk off her ass, falls off the dock, and as she gets up, a hand gets stuck in an animal carcass, and she has to stumble into the middle of the scene. And then she has trouble getting her guns to work, and then just in the nick of time, she saves today. And she yeah, it's she rescues. It's a- saves and kidnaps Thor all in the same scene. Yeah, it's it's not any it's not in any way a new kind of character introduction, but it is for a woman. <laughs> like we, well, we at the don't very see least, this. It feels like it. Yeah. Uh it is something like we don't really get to ha- like I think the the comparison I made before was to to like this kind of doc holiday or even if I were to make like a uh, an 80s 90s action thing like the way we're introduced to to like rigs and lethal weapon. Right. Like just the the burnout hero, like right. the burnout rogue hero. And they so and whenever they are introduced, they're sort of introduced in the sort of Beatrice Kiddo way. Uh, yeah. Or in some sort of like grand sort of fanfare and they well, perfect example, uh, Black Widow and Avengers. Hmm. Like, they're giving you, like, you see right off the bat, these are fully competent, strong women, and those are great. But it's nice to see a woman who is strong and competent and who also maybe gets a little drunk, just like the men do. And, well, I, I think we'll, <laughs> or, we'll, we'll. Or a lot drunk. Right. Well, no, I think what we're wading into is the idea of masculine tendencies and feminine tendencies and how they really do overlap, except when you watch mm. a story, read or watch a story, they get divided with these weird sort of archaic demarcation lines or lines of demarcation, right. sorry. Well, I mean, it, the, I think drunkenness is a good example of how we sort of draw these arbitrary categories in culture because a dude being a drunk and still, like, going out and doing stuff well that's that's showing their constitution and that they're like yeah they're 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 doing all the they're they're putting away all of the booze and still able to go out and do badass stuff whereas like built almost an entire franchise on it ah drunken master (laughs) and Um, yeah when women are drunk it's shown as a sort of an inability to process the emotions or makes them vulnerable. Right. Or, or, or it interferes with their expected, like, nurturer role that, right. that is culturally expected. Like, if you're drunk, then then you're automatically going to be derelict, where if you're a drunk guy, well, the, the, the cultural understanding of that hero role is, well, you're, you're supposed to go out and fight, which you can still do while drunk, so it's funny, right. but it's still fine. Well, not, not only that, but there's sort of a cultural stigma to a drunk woman as opposed to the stigma to a drunk man is very often a sort of Philip Marlowe coolness. Right. Uh, whereas drunk women are like, if we want to go down a real dark cultural road, which I suppose <laughs> we'll, we'll, we're going to skirt any time we talk about this topic regardless, but drunk women are then, of course, uh, going to be coded as like being irresponsible or asking for it. Right. I don't believe this at all. Just right. saying. 
but well, the way that our culture constructs it, that is one of the common readings, and it's terrible. There's a Bud Bedica Western called um, Decision at Sundown. Mm. And it's interesting because it has two women, the red-headed harlot, the town prostitute, mm. and the blonde virginal character who is the upstanding mm. citizen. And both are... The blonde is getting married to the same guy who the harlot is having an affair with, and that is the bad guy of the town. Ah. And so, normally you would expect, like, some sort of... He would be either get killed or end up with the blonde. Right. But it's by the end, the blonde leaves him and ends up with nobody. And he ends up with being saved by the prostitute, which doesn't sound groundbreaking, but it's so rare <laughs> that women are given some oh, sort of any kind of agency. And the fact that happiness was not decided by if by, and when by you like have how sex. virtuous you were at the beginning, right, exactly. Like, <laughs> and at one point in time, the virginal heroine confronts the male hero. Because he's trying to get revenge by blaming his wife's suicide on him, on the bad guy and claiming that he stole her. And it's like, a woman can't be stolen. She has to want to leave. Gasp. I know. And this is the 60s, folks. This is a strange, <laughs> wild time. Uh, but no, like, it's... Will... What, what, was the, what was the title again? I need to look into this Decision one. at Sundown. It's a Bud Bedica movie with Randolph Scott. But it's that sort of thing where women's, the amount of sex a woman has is often, often influences where she lands on the moral hero scale. Right. The, uh, the, the, the physical quote unquote purity being equated with moral, uh, purity and or like actual worth as a human <laughs> right and, and what's really odd is the male counterpart is often he's allowed to have more morally gray sex and the more morally gray sex he has the more moral action attribute he's given the uh the the stud versus whore problem exactly right the the James Bond versus the women James Bond has sex with mm. <laughs> <laughs> it's the well uh, Tessa Thompson's Valkyrie she is mm. a very sexual character but she's never sexualized right and the amount of sex she has never interferes with her moral compass. It n- it never... Right, it's 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 not used to mark her in any capacity, right. really. I shouldn't say it doesn't interfere. It doesn't affect. It doesn't right. move the needle. But uh, ex- going back to Charlie's Theron and Atomic Blonde, she is also yes. a very sexual character, but never really explicitly sexualized. And in fact, she is given when one of her one night stands is in fact time. She does feel some regret. She's allowed to have a spectrum of emotions that mm. was still attaining some sort of distance coolness by never like showing all of it. She's allowed to be to inhabit what is largely male attributes. Yeah. 
or what what we see as male attributes. Yeah. Right. But um, it's one of those. Words I don't like, know. This is this is one of those. Oh. Go ahead. No, go ahead. No, what were you saying? Oh, I was just I was just gonna say this. This is one of those things that, in terms of of examples of the fact that these categories are are unstable and defined by whatever a broader cultural consensus is. I think about um, Odysseus from the Odyssey, who like weeps over all sorts of stuff. Like men getting to have emotions uh, is not like it wasn't always that heroes. It's not like a universal across culture thing that that male heroes need to be stoic right. and like have their emotions under control and blah, blah blah. Like there are plenty, even even in the the quote unquote Western canon, there are plenty of classic heroes that were like. No, I, I feel I feel all the time, and it's it's overwhelming. Well, no, like it, it used to be the hero cried because that showed the hero gave a damn. Right, but it's now like, it's it nope. was perfectly rational. <laughs> if you cry, you care. Yeah, but like, uh, and and it's just sort of a longer. I, I feel like it's uh, it's a longer cultural slide that's going on the similar trajectory as like the John McClane example we used earlier. Like it goes from being human to being, like, a caricatured superhuman, like, thing. Well, and this ties into the other issue uh, men have when writing women. Or mm. when, uh, whenever when men looking at stories in general, the mm-hmm. idea that women do not get to... When you watch a st- uh, Guardians of the Galaxy, Yay. there's a real argument to be made that what we're watching, while it is clear, being shown to us as Hello, food truck. <laughs> Peter Quill's story. It is that's no that's just the noise that we make whenever we talk about Peter Quill for some reason. Right. It is actually Gamora's story, and it makes a lot more sense for it to be Gamora's story. Yeah, because she has, she's tied to Thanos, and right. and yeah. But it's that weird thing of when a man gets a hold of the story, it's like, well, yeah, clearly, but wouldn't it be cooler if he was in charge? <laughs> right. <laughs> And the same uh, thing goes like we uh, put like the uh, often talked about Transformers with Megan Fox. Yeah, she is she's an outcast. Uh, her father is a both class and societal, and mm-hmm. she's treated uh, poorly by the men around her. And she she is has a history that is. She, she, has a, she has a history that is specifically attached to automobiles. Right. Not only that, but it's a type of history that is normally given to a male hero. Something yeah. to overcome. Self-doubt and such. And then you have this sort of fucking navel-gazing schlub that is Shia LaBeouf. Can, can we just be honest for a second and say, the audience stand-in? Uh, yeah. And or it's one of the, ex- clearly, the expected audience stand-in? And I probably would almost enjoy the other movies if Megan Fox was actually the star, or if at least her character was. Yeah. And it's one of the things uh, where storytelling in general, I think, suffers from the fact of an inability to empathize enough with a woman to think that she would be an audience standard. Right. Uh, because, like, clear, like the, the Shia LaBeouf character, it's kind of fascinating to deconstruct because it... It makes perfect sense if you understand the weird anti-sense that uh, a lot of this kind of screenwriting (laughs) relies on. Because he is, like, his entire existence is, A, reliant on, like, being named after the the kid, like, character from the Transformers cartoon back in the day. And 
creating a stand-in for the presumed audience that will then grow out of being the presumed audience and into someone who matters. <laughs> <laughs> like it's it's the perfect cross-section of marketing presumed male dominance and power fantasy. Right. Well, and it also feeds into the the Smurfette principle. Yeah. In which uh, perfect example, Stranger Things season two has like four or five strong female characters, quote unquote, uh, but they never interact with each other. And every scene has like three, four men in the one Smurfette, three, four men in the one Smurfette. And, right. and the rare scenes in which they all do are together, they never interact with each other. So you have this weird thing of where, again, if you have strong female characters separate from other strong female characters. Yeah. They are existing only by themselves. Yeah, in, in order to have, like, uh, a movie or, or a show or something that is predominantly centered around women, you have to, and for it not to be considered women's media, you right. have to, like, sneak your way into it. Right. And this is my, my, my favorite example of this, because I'll keep dragging it in somehow, is uh, Mad Max Fury Road. <laughs> everyone, everyone who matters in that story are women. Right. And it's just that, like, Max's name is on the door. And that is, like, he's, he's not unimportant to the story, but it isn't his story. It is the story of all of these women. Well, I remember that being a, a complaint for a lot of people. Like, this isn't Max's story. Why is his name in the title? Like, because he—that's <laughs> how you get the people there. Yeah, and also because it makes sense if you like watch and think about the story. In that Furiosa is on the same sort of destructive path that right. Max was on. Not only that, it's but... almost like violence exists in cycles. <laughs> what the hell you say? <laughs> Well, uh, and also uh, going back to Charlize Theron and uh, let let us Max, continue to do so. Um, the outfits that she's allowed to wear—it's just—it's a normal outfit. It's an—it's out, not a sexualized outfit. It's not a form-fitting mm. outfit. Much it like is a utilitarian outfit. outfit shows every curve. <laughs> or in um, Atomic Blonde, also with Theron, she has differing outfits depending on the occasion. What? Yeah, right. I'm like shocked. sometimes she'll. She'll dress in a sort of sexualized fashion if she's going after a man. Mm. But at the same time, it's never in a sense that she's, th- she's like she's part of... God, how do I face this? Because it makes it seem like I'm just going back to the Beckett scenario. And maybe it mm. does. Maybe I maybe I cut too much slack to Atomic Blonde because I like it. That That's not unheard of. We, yeah. we like the things that we like. <laughs> <laughs> and maybe sometimes we don't realize still we're talking about how problematic some of it is. Fair enough. Absolutely. <laughs> but there uh, is... Well, because no matter no matter how woke we may try to become, we will, uh, you and I, never have the experience of having been women the whole time in a exactly. culture that's like, yeah, but what about men, though? <laughs> right, well, that's the thing. Like, we, we understand these things because we were told about them. Women already right. knew this, and they just had to put words <laughs> to the experiences. Uh, and get listened to. Right. There's, there was a painter in Houston whose name I forgot to write down because I'm horrible. Yeah, um, we know. <laughs> <laughs> she decided to do a series of paintings of and flipping the genders on Western icons. West, like by mm. Western, I mean by genre. Of cowboys. Yeah, so yeah, the, 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 cowboy, the cowboy Western. Right. A series of 
women cowboys. And she found that the model she had had trouble nailing the like the the look they give and some in some instances even like the stance simply because it's not that they're not biologically incapable it's the fact that they never see this sort of like it's it's just not something that reflected by other it's, women it's not something that they learned from their own culture like right. it's not it's not directed toward them not uh, only, I, not only that, but like understanding how to do the distant look without having the cool femme fatale element added into it. Um, uh, according to my knowledge of everything and not at all the internet, is it uh, Felice House? Is that the artist? Yes. In question? Yes. Okay. <laughs> he said... I, I totally knew that because of Unless my infinite knowledge. Unless you just made up a name in that case, what the hell, Thad? <laughs> <laughs> you won't know until after the show is over. Because <laughs> my keyboard is really quiet so I can search things while we're recording. Excellent. <laughs> I can't do that because I have many, many windows open and I just get lost. <laughs> That's fair. Uh, but yeah, no, just the 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 very idea of even if it's not like I mean, I don't usually go out and hold myself in ways that cowboys in movies do, right. but I've seen enough of it directed at me <laughs> that I do have like I I could totally understand why that split would happen. Right. And wasn't like she had like it's not like it spent hours and hours doing this. Just like she had to give him like maybe a second or two extra coaching. I'm sure it wasn't like it's not some impossible right. standard. But even then, like yeah. the idea uh, of the as I'm not that. I well, I mean, it, it sort of shows the because that's going to bring us down a rabbit hole that we're not really capable of dealing with. Yeah. Well, I mean, I think it just it shows the kinds of. Uh, unspoken presumptions in media and society because it's not a thing that you think about not knowing how to do because you're never put in a situation where you would need to do it exactly like well, it's it's you you don't know the gaps in your knowledge because you don't know about them exactly <laughs> they're <And> gaps <laughs> and you don't realize just how awful movies treat women until mm -hmm. you really just take a step back like, there's a wonderful yeah. quote by Dave Weiss. Like, I don't understand sometimes how women don't just burn the theater down to the ground. <laughs> but, I mean, that's also, like, that That shows how much, as, I mean, honestly, as men, we're we're not, we're, the, the idea of being disrespected or being outright, like, hostile towards your perspective and your <laughs> being is so alien to us that the only response that we would reach for is to reject it violently. <laughs> It's like, yeah, welcome to what women have to deal with all the time. <laughs> God forbid you happen to be in a relationship with that man. <laughs> but, oh, sadness again. <laughs> uh, everything is horrible. Everything is horrible. Well, uh, what were you about funny, to say? <laughs> um, recently, and I don't know how true this is. This was. Well, I know there's, there's truth to it. I just don't know how 100% it's going to play out. Mm. Gal Gadot basically said that she was going to hold out re-signing for a sequel to Wonder Woman until Warner Brothers disinvested from Brett Ratner's company, which co-financed the production yeah. of Wonder Woman. Yeah, you were telling me about this before. Uh, and because... Because... 
Yeah. What she's the only person apparently who didn't sign. I, I like she might have signed for two pictures, but not three because they weren't really sure on how they were going to how Wonder Woman was going to play out. Yeah, and since she's the most popular, and she's the one who, by the way, they are basically selling Justice League with. Right, she she has become <laughs> the lodestone, the linchpin of whatever the DCEU Justice League extended multiversal theater compact, whatever it is. <laughs> and because of the tepidness with uh, contract, uh, contractual obligations to her, she now wields an immense amount of power. And she's using yeah. it to, like, get rid of this fuckwit. Because and it's, they can't it's not, not, what, not like, sign it because everyone who it's like, wait, you you're replacing Wonder Woman? No, fuck you. Yeah, that would be like like it would be like replacing Christopher Reeve as Superman after the first one because yeah. like she is it like Linda Carter, sure, but she was a long time ago right. and like superheroes as a media thing exist in a vastly different context now. She is Wonder Woman. Understand like that she... we are readily <laughs> more able to accept and expect to replace Ben Affleck as fucking Batman. Yeah, Batman, the there is no... Ex- of replacing Gal Gadot as Wonder Woman. <laughs> right, the the only irreplaceable Batman is Kevin Conroy and maybe Adam West. Right, like the, and one of them died, like Phil- so we don't have to worry about that. <laughs> right, film Batman, we... Yeah, no one cares. Like, he, he did all right in his turn within the constraints of what Batman and Superman had on offer. But no one gives a crap if Ben Affleck is replaced as Batman, because at this point, replacing Batman is just what you do. Well, not only that, but I'm I'm not even sure if the people who love Batman v Superman would give two shits if they replaced (laughs) Ben Affleck. No, because they'll just replace him with someone else and whatever. It's it's fine. You, You can tell, you know the decade, you mark the decade in which you live by the man playing your Batman. Uh. But, like, there is a sort of, like, a bizarre, like, there has been a few articles written, like, the outright sexism and racism within the Hollywood institution has cost <laughs> it billions. Right. Because, say something like the Fast and the Furious franchise, one of the more diverse franchises, and also one of the most profitable and popular franchises. Yeah, just make it prints money. Yeah, and even though no one, no one is saying these are great, majestic work of art, they're always saying it's fucking a blast and a half. And I, if you want to go get drunk and watch a movie, though, I bet there are a few little worse ones you can go to. Right, uh, I I know plenty. Like my my friends back in in uh, the homelands, let's say. Uh, had a a full day marathon of Fast and Furious movies, and I'm so sad that I missed out on it because it had to have been amazing. <laughs> well, going back to Wonder Woman, it has broke all kinds of records yeah. for the DCWB, and all they had to do was just get a woman. <laughs> and Marvel I mean, just it... now was like, you know what? People are really kind of fucking psyched for Black Panther. Like people oh. are over the damn moon for Black Panther. Yeah, let's let's not get too sidetracked, but oh, Black Panther! Right. Oh, it's, like, it's, it's one of those so like good. all you had to do was you had one basic job, basic bare minimum, and you can print your damn money. And yet, this yeah. blindness is a sort of almost willing blindness and ignorance yeah. to the fact. Well, I mean, it it, it shows again. I, I think it's something that shows exactly the presumptions that Hollywood already worked on. 
And I mean, this is something that's been coming to light more and more in recent years as I think a lot of times it's, it's young, like younger women who get to Hollywood stardom, like say um, Jennifer Lawrence being very open about like, Oh, I'm being paid less than these people. Right. And just being able to talk, like being willing to talk about it publicly is starting to, to show a lot of just the sexist presumptions behind these things, because it doesn't surprise me at all that Gal Gadot was probably was only signed for like Wonder Woman and Justice League. (laughs) By the logic that Hollywood already worked under hers, wasn't as important to hold on to. Hers was the, well, even then, before Wonder Woman came out, it was the one that everyone speculated, like, is it really going to be good? I yeah. don't know. We'll just have to fall back to, like, it was a, we were lived in a weird world in which Batman and the Superman and Man of Steel, like, they were good. Those, even though they were awful. They were like, yeah, but is Wonder Woman going to be any good? <laughs> what? what? Uh. Like, let's just make, let's just make another Superman movie. Why? The last two suck. Yeah, but this one might be good. But the one Wonder Woman movie Ugh. that we try out, yeah, that's gonna suck and that's gonna damage everything. What? Why does this yeah, one let's, have to be? Let's let's not get locked into this Wonder Woman actress because who knows what could happen. But by the way, Henry Cavill, could we have you forever? <laughs> because of because of your beloved take on your beloved and nuanced take on the Man of Steel. Not only that, but because everyone just loves you and just rushes to you and absolutely crazy with the man, your character. Ugh. Yeah, so all of that, like that's that to me is the great thing about the Wonder Woman thing, though, is it it's exact like Hollywood running off of its usual presumptions and it not working anymore, and in fact putting them in a very bad position. Right, and it's one of the because things where like the now, cure for what ails you is quite simple: you fire a lot of the men. I know that's weird, <laughs> and you hire women because shocker, when women tell stories about women. Oh my god, we get so many much more interesting women characters. And I mean, I'm super I'm super glad that Wonder Woman is good and did well, but there's also the part of me that's like, damn it, we could have had a really good Thor too. <laughs> <laughs> well, and this goes in the fact that Patty Jenkins is writing Wonder Woman too. Yeah. So we're gonna get probably a better Wonder Woman. <laughs> oh. Oh, I yeah. I, I, it's again, like the Wonder Woman stuff uh, is kind of what I'm ex- like. I'm, I'm vaguely curious about a lot of things in the, the, the justice league, DC Warner brothers extended conglomerate, but, uh, I'm just going to keep adding things to well, it. As time. well as you should. <laughs> but Wonder Woman's the only one that I have real genuine interest in because everything else is either completely abstract at the moment, as in, Flash, Cyborg, uh, and Aquaman, uh, with the exception of the fact that uh, Jason Momoa is so charismatic that that he's the only other thing that I'm really curious about about Justin. <laughs> but um, but yeah, everything else it's it's just nebulously meh. We don't know what Batman's gonna do. They're gonna like <laughs> they're going to make another Superman movie, and I don't feel great about that. <laughs> <laughs> well, and going back oh. to Wonder Woman in general, Gal Gadot, she was allowed, again, the full spectrum of emotion. She was allowed hubris. She was allowed uh, a naivete. She was allowed moments of extreme anger was allowed with, uh, mixed with extreme compassion. She was an interesting character. She exhibited, quote, unquote, masculine traits and feminine traits, which 
I think mm-hmm. got away from, but the idea of that's sort of an unfair mantle to genderize a trait. Yeah. Because it means it's somehow what? not fitting or worthy of someone expressing it. Yeah. I mean, it's it's just a way of, of inf- hierarchy of the things that we expect men to be like and the things that we don't want women to be like. Because they're almost always like, for for men, they're almost always like, here are the things you should be. And for women, they tend to be, here are the things you shouldn't be. Right. And that's messed up. <laughs> he said as if it was a brave and un- yes. an original yes, let us uh, Let us take a, a bold new stance <laughs> in saying maybe we shouldn't box people in in regard to you know received cultural notions of what men and women should be like. Hot take. Sexism <laughs> is stupid. Ha ha! Ugh. I love the new ground that we break. Um, <laughs> what would this place be without me, ladies and gentlemen? People meandering But no, about. I think that... And it, it is interesting how, like... I like how often Charlize Theron keeps coming up in this regard because it, it weirdly <laughs> kind of has become her wheelhouse to to sort of find the space between the expected masculine and the expected feminine uh, roles. Well... What she's doing and is I don't really know what to do with that. It's but... largely been a sort of masculine coolness. Yeah. And she she and Kristen Stewart does this in Personal Shopper. Best movie of the year, best mm. performance of the year. Um Personal Shopper. Mm. In which there's like a sort of like classic aloofness attributed to matinee idols like James Dean and mm. Steve McQueen that women don't normally get a chance to play with. Hmm. And I think Charlie's third one is really oddly sort of making this next phase in her career <laughs> about playing with that particular notion. Yeah, her career has had all sorts of I odd hope to God there's a second atomic blonde. Uh, I, I, it is still to my great shame that I haven't seen that movie yet. Because we meant to see it and just like missed it in theaters due to other commitments of time and or... Uh, Malays. <laughs> it's John Goodman. You know, you have Charlize Theron and John Goodman and Sophia Boudella. I already feel bad. You don't have to twist the knife. <laughs> By the way, Sophia Boudella. Uh, so awesome in that movie, as she was in Star Trek Beyond. I didn't realize mm-hmm. she was the character I love so much in Star Trek Beyond <laughs> until I was looking up a quest. I'm like, oh yeah! Well, you know, the science fiction has a way of hiding uh, actresses under effects makeup. Yes. Well, actually, <laughs> no, they did not do. What, what, one day we'll actually see Zoe Soldana get to look like herself again. I, I would hope. Well, probably be the next Star Trek movie. That's true. Uh, <laughs> I just like, yeah, uh, okay, fair point. But like, I, I'm, so used, I'm so used to seeing her as Gamora now that I'm just like, I don't know. There's, there's something weird about that, that like the space exotification via weird skin colors and whatnot. Yes, well, that's... Uh, that but, uh, goes further to the issues there. we have as a patriarchy. Woohoo! Hey, by the way, that was the first time we uh, used that word this entire episode. We are oh, smart. Oh, we cracked the patriarchy, uh... uh <laughs> SMAT. I don't know, SEAL or whatever. <laughs> um, yes. Uh, which, of course, if you interpret poorly, clearly means that all men are in charge of everything all the time. And because that's not the case, clearly we're not in a patriarchy. Ha ha, checkmate, feminists, according to the <laughs> internet. Uh, uh, you took the red pill, my friend, you see all. 
Yeah, but I threw it up immediately thereafter. Uh, okay, so good. it's fine. Probably takes greasy and like had him shaved and bathed in a while. <laughs> but yeah, so uh, I don't know. Are the what other what other stuff have we not hit as far as either favorite, uh, either air quote strong female characters, subversions thereof. Uh, what else? Well, I think well we're getting to close to the point where I think it's a good point to just wrap it up. Yeah, I suppose. I just like, I like talking I, I about. I think uh, the closing out was just the idea of the lack of role models. The thing about what's really odd is like we can complain about the lack of role models. Like we mm. should complain about the lack of role models, strong role models for women. But right, they they do a remarkable job <laughs> creating their own role models. Then maybe we should just let them create stories. <laughs> what? I know. Okay, right? we're now it's we're like just almost, almost like they're just driving kind of off into the <laughs> driving off into the realm of madness here. Right. Uh, but yeah, I think well, that's the the quality of of these stories that like the more not just women led in front of but behind the camera, like they defend themselves. How yeah. well these things work when you let people have their space to tell stories, right. and by and large, it's also I don't maybe I'm wrong. But it has not eliminated stories that are driven by men either. I, I don't think we're in an evil matriarchy yet, are we? No, for, so, for, that's what I can the, tell. The internet's telling me otherwise, but I don't know who to believe. Well, the internet is wrong about eighty percent of the time. Yeah, we say from the internet. <laughs> we're not the internet. We're special because we're two yes, white heterosexual <laughs> white men. We know better. Clearly, that's a great note to end on, isn't it? <laughs> Alright, uh, that's about all the time we have. Don't forget to check out the other uh, podcasts we have. The Phantom Minimalist, Ladies First, and Unabashed Book Snobbery. Don't forget to check uh, check us out on iTunes, review and rate us. That's how we move up. And uh, check me out on social media. My Twitter is jshermanfiction. My Instagram is jeremiahosherman, much like my Facebook. And Thad, I think Thad has a Twitter now. Yes, it's at uh, Thaddeus Strange, one word. Uh, not with the one word. The one word isn't part of it. Oh, God. I don't know how to do this out loud. That is, at that is strange. That's all you need to know. All right. That's all the time we have for today, folks. Say goodbye, Thad. Next time, Jeremiah. Next time.